Hi, welcome to the Haven Youth Church Podcast. We want to thank you for tuning in today. We hope this message encourages you and empowers you to be all God created you to be. We love you. Welcome to the family. Amen, amen. Remain standing. I'm going to read a lot of scripture tonight. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16. The Bible said, Paul writing to the church of Colossae, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Notice this, all things were created by him. Somebody shout by him and for him. Somebody shout for him. It's all about Jesus. <laughs> I said, it's all about Jesus. And he is before all things and by him, all things exist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things, he might have the preeminence. That means the highest position, the most important one, the superlative of all things good. For it pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell. Look at how many times it said all. All things by him, all things for him, all things consist, all things he might have the preeminence. All things, all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Let's go to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation has been taken to be a book of end time prophecy, and though it is thus, trying to outline it in chronological order, saying this is going to happen, and then six months later this is going to happen, and then three years later this is going to happen, uh, it, it's, it's very difficult because what John saw on the Isle of Patmos was this spectacular vision, and I think if you were to search and I don't mind if you do it later. I think it would be it would it would it would help you to see if you just search the two words I saw in the book of Revelation. Maybe 27 times John says, I saw, I saw, I saw. Jesus is showing him something. Now, this is the last living apostle. The other, the other disciples and apostles have been martyred. He's the last one. He's maybe in his 80s. History says, not the Bible, history says he's been boiled in oil and he yet survived what was supposed to martyr him, he outlived that, and he's been put on an island, a prisoner, and he's in the Spirit on the Lord's day. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in prosperity. Are you reading with me? Is that what it said? Your, your companion in easy times. Your companion when the religious world is for you and the political world is for you and the economic world is for you and you've got all the money you want, your car's working fine, and you don't get a flat tire on the way to church, Brother Jacoby, and everybody, you just, you just don't have any wrinkles and you don't have any blemishes and everything's perfect. No, he said, I am your brother in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was in the Isle called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as a trumpet. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And when I saw him, notice John who spent three, three and a half years with Jesus so close the Bible said of John, he laid his head on Jesus's chest when they were reclining at meals, very close to Jesus. And yet when he sees him here, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. He didn't high five him. He didn't say, what's up, homie? No, something overcame him with a resurrected, glorified Christ. Friend, we can come boldly before the throne of grace, but just because we come boldly does not mean we can come casually. I know you're standing in a moment. You're going to sit and I'm going to stand for the rest of the, the night. So I get the award for standing the longest. I want you to just tune in a little bit longer here before we, before we go into this word. He said, when I saw him, I fell at his face. Listen to me, young people. You may think, I don't know why my parents have these standards. We got to look a certain way when we go to church or why we have to have a platform standard. Hear me. A church with no standards has no fear of the Lord. And I don't care what your standard is. I preach for churches where the women have head coverings. I don't preach for it or against it. All I know is show me a church with no standard, and I'll show you people that have been taught to casually approach the throne of God. You don't have to have my standard. 
You don't have to have the standard of the church down the road, but you cannot high five him. You can run to him, but you still run with reverence. He said, I saw him. I fell at his face as dead. And he said, um, uh, verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his face as dead. He laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, fear not. I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And he had the keys of, of hell and of death. 27 times he said, I saw. But we're going to fast forward to the end of the book, chapter 20 and verse 11. Now between these, he saw dragons. He saw nations burning. He saw, he saw oceans turn to blood. He saw stars go out. He saw locusts with power to sting and people would cry out. He saw the earth open. He saw, he saw all kinds of turmoil in the world. But then at the end, he said, and I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from the face uh, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. Revelation 21 and 5, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city. Have you ever been telling a story that just sounded like a whopper of a story, and you had to just reinsert yourself and say, no, I was there. As much as my name is Robert, I'm telling you, I saw it. John is saying, I, John, I saw it. I saw the new Jerusalem, the holy city, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and it shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the thr throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And may the Lord anoint the reading and hearing of his word. In Jesus' name you may be seated tonight. I'd like to preach with the help of the Lord just for a moment on do you see what I see? Remember, you remember that? We've, we've made it a Christmas song, but it was originally written for the, uh, for the, uh, the, the, the Cuban Missile Crisis. It was meant to be a song of peace. But it's, it is from the perspective of shepherds and, and visitors at the manger, and it says, do you see what I see? Peter and John raised up a lame man in Acts chapter 3 at the, at the temple gate. They were thrown in prison for preaching in the name of Jesus. And in chapter 4 of the book of Acts, they were commanded to no longer preach in the name of Jesus. And what did they say? They said, men and brethren, you judge amongst yourself as it's rather better for us to obey God or men. But as for us, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. It is vital for you to get a grasp on what you're looking at and understand, am I seeing things the way God sees it? Brother Gary Hampton was a Bible professor of mine, and uh, he's actually the one that really introduced me to ALT. I traveled with him for the summer after I graduated Bible college, and he was here doing architecton. And I stayed with Matt that the, during those visits, and then now I live here. And uh, but but at the beginning of January, Brother Hampton passed away, and I was listening to some of his old sermons and reminiscing on some of his preaching. What a profoundly amazing preacher! And though he was strict, he was funny. And he used to tell this story. He said there was uh, back in frontier times, there was no general stores, corner stores. You you crafted everything you made by hand. And so salesmen would come through with wagons and just have sundry items that you might, you might need and various things filling up a wagon. And he came up to this one ranch, this one uh, homestead, and out comes the farmer. And the salesman says, I've got some tools. I've got some kitchen utensils. I've got some farm utensils. You just look through. I'll tell you the price. You find something you want, I'll, I'll sell it to you. And the man's looking through. And the man picked up a mirror. And having had not ever seen a mirror, looked in it, and because of his age, he resembled his father so much, he just began to say, oh, my papa. <laughs> I can hear Brother Hampton right now. Brother Hampton's like 400 pounds and just a hilarious person and anointed as could be. But when he told this story, he said, oh, my papa, my papa. And he said, that man, he, he, had, he had aged. And have you all grown up enough? Have you grown enough where you look in the mirror sometimes? You're like, oh. I see my grandparents. I see my aunts and uncles. Like you, you recognize that resemblance. And so 
He said, how did you get a picture of my papa? He said, I have to buy this. I need this. And so he takes it secretly out to the barn because he thinks he's got this intimate moment back where he can he can converse with his father that he misses. And so he would go out to work and he would come in for dinner and then he'd, he'd go out to the barn and he was spending more and more time out in the barn staring in the mirror. Oh, my papa, my papa. Until one day his wife says, where's my husband going? Why is he spending so much time in the barn? So while he was out in the field working, she went out to the barn and she having had never seen a mirror either, looked at it and said, oh, you're the ugly hag he's been out here staring at, spending time with. How, it, it, you, you, you look at something and you create, you create an opinion, you create a perspective, but how many know your perspective is not always the right one? If you're not seeing from the reality, there's different in philosophies, there's different de definitions of reality, whether something is meaningful, whether something is objective, whether something is factual, whether something is of, of substance, whether something is, is lasting. But our definition of reality is reality is based on what is real to God. What it matters to God, what is meaningful to God. And if it is from God's perspective real, then to us, it must be our reality. Christ must be our ultimate reality. What do you see? What are you looking at? What has your eyes tonight? I was reading a book by Francis Schaeffer on the history of Christianity, and it goes from the early church through uh, dark ages, through uh, Rome accepting Christianity, through all of those seasons. And then it, when it gets to the Renaissance period, it talks about art shifting. And art is usually a reflection of culture. It's usually a reflection of what's going on underneath the surface. Now, I want you to think about this. Before the Renaissance, painting was not that popular yet. Most art was sculpture and it was done. It was done in a way that you had to go to it and see it. You, you walk around a sculpture. The sculpture is the centerpiece for your attention. But in the Renaissance, even though they had come up with different mediums of painting before that, they could not figure out how to how to put lighting. You remember when you're a kid, you put the sun in the corner and you thought it was so cool because you're like, I won't put a circle in the middle. I'll put it in the corner with some rays. And you're like, I am stepping it up a level in my artwork. They didn't know where to do. They didn't know what to do with lighting and shadows. They didn't know what to do with feet. All the previous paintings, uh, they just people were hovering above the ground like they were all levitating because they didn't know what how to put the depth. They didn't know how to use math. In, in scale to put foreground and background so it looked like everything was just 2D. But as math began to enter into art and they realized, well, if we draw these diagonal lines, we can make something in the middle look like it's in the foreground. And then those things on the side look like they're in the background. We can put lighting here. We can. And what happened in the Renaissance, which was also the birth of humanism, which simply says man is the measure of all things, not God, Man is the measure of all things that as that philosophy was brewing throughout culture, art began to change until you did not go to an item and look at it. You went to a piece of art and they called it painting in the round, which means if we have art history and art philosophy and art majors in the room, I'm, I'm just intimidated because you know so much more than me. But in my elementary perspective, let me explain it to you like this. You could go to a flat surface and if you stand in the middle of it, it would appear as though it was wrapping around you based on depth perception and light. Painting in the round. So where you used to go and look at something and that had your attention, now you could go to a flat surface and it surrounded you. And what art was saying is it's all about you. Now fast forward from the Renaissance till now. I'm on an airplane from Washington Dulles to Cincinnati. I put my phone away and I was checking something on my iPad. I wanted to take care of some business and so I put my iPad down in the seat and I pulled out my MacBook and now I have three screens surrounding me. Oh, pray for me. 
I have three items that I can type and click. If the Renaissance was saying humanism is making you the center and everything is painted for you, everything is for your pleasure, everything is to stimulate your senses, fast forward to screen at your touch, at your click, instant gratification. You check on everything. You update. Some of you have notifications right now that you're trying not to look at because you're in church and it is driving you crazy because you have overstimulated yourself. I am one of them. I am OCD about the notifications not being open on my, some of y'all, no names, have like 3,000 emails that have never been opened, come to the altar and clear that stuff out, <sighs> makes me want to itch, scratch something, it's, <laughs> and, and so all, all of this stimulation has come to say, it's all about you, you are the centerpiece, you and, and, and then not only, not only devices, not only devices, but, but stories. A story once had a, it had a moral, a moral ending, a moral lesson. Thank you. And at a moral, le the purpose of the story was to get you to some ethic of goodness, if not even to an ultimate goal of the glory of God. But now... With the age of you paying too much for a movie ticket, too much for popcorn and Pepsi, too much. It's the goal is get your money. And at, at what, what, how much, how much did uh, Endgame make? Isn't that the highest grossing film of all time? Hundreds of billions of dollars. Like, like, like more than the GDP of like. Uh, 30 something countries in the world, one movie made more than an entire country's annual income of every dollar that is spent on anything in an entire country all year long. One movie grows that. What have they found out? If we continue to make it all about you, if we can stimulate your eyes and your ears. I mean, we don't listen to symphonies, sym symphonies and orchestras very much in our generation, unless it's in the background of a video game, unless it's in the background of a movie. And then all of the symphonic surround sound, all of this IMAX screen, all of these high paid actors, all of this, all of this digitized uh, graphics, all of this just to stimulate your end. And then you come out of those films wanting to identify with the main character saying, I feel heroic now. I feel, I feel like, I feel like I could shoot webs and swing from buildings. I feel like I could, I feel like I could conquer some stuff. And, and I, I was talking to somebody the other day and they were saying, Robert, I find things on the inside of me that I want to bring out to, to the people I'm in the room with. But when, when, what I hear on the inside and what comes out of my mouth on the outside, it's never as interesting it's never, uh, it just kind of, it doesn't really grab the attention of the room. It just kind of goes unnoticed. I can be in the center and I still feel like I'm on the edge. I know people like me because they keep inviting me over, but I just don't feel celebrated the, the way, I don't know, I feel like I don't belong. And then this person was talking about things in life that weren't working out to the, the end that they thought they would work out to. And I begin to realize this person thinks that life is like a movie that at the end of every day, all the loose ends are going to be tied up and there'll be total resolution. And I begin to realize what this person was saying is I don't feel like the main character and I'm supposed to be. If you have devices that surround you, art that surrounds you, music constantly in your AirPods and earbuds, if you have everything written for you, stimulating you, every piece of artwork, every piece of media, every piece of video game, every piece of uh, Candy Crush, I don't know what you put your eyes on. Everything is for you. It's for you. It's for you. It's for you. And then you step into the real world and everybody doesn't say, yay, you. It feels like something's out of sync with reality. If, if life is, has a hiccup, has a frustration, and it's not resolved, well, well, Jesus is the problem solver, and I went to Haven last Thursday, and so why isn't the problem resolved? Let me share it with you real quick. I know it's, it's not that deep of a revelation, but let me just tell you, this is why. You're not God. <laughs> 
You're not the hero of the story. You're not the main character. You're not a celebrity. Amen. You're not the, you're not the one that all the stage lights, the spotlight is not on you. You are in a supporting role, which means even if I suffer, he can get the glory. Even if you kill me out, but you get to go on, it's all about the king and the kingdom. It's all about him. All things by him. All things for him. That in all things he might have the preeminence. Every single thing is about King Jesus. Peter, James, and John are, are, are of the top three of the 12 disciples. And that James is not the James that wrote the book of James. It's not the James that goes on to become the head of the church of Jerusalem. That's the half-brother of Jesus. The James, Peter, James, and John on the Mount, Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. They're the main three. James killed right at the beginning of Acts. Like, seemed like he was the main character. No, 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 no. He's not the main character. Does it say his life doesn't matter? Absolutely it matters. But friend, our life, if it's all about us, let me share why this is important for us to understand. I, I was also uh, listening to a book recently about the history of the Christian history of America, The Light and the Glory by Peter Marshall. And it was talking about how the Puritans who came here understood that walking in covenant with God was the only way to survive sickness, uh, starvation, uh, potential attacks from, from, the, from indigenous peoples. And so they, they lived very uh, introspective lives to, to, to check their heart every day. Is there any sin in me? Faithful in prayer, faithful in church attendance, faithful in community to one another. But as they became more prosperous, as their houses went from three acres to 300 acres, as their lives became more secure, so that they went from little shacks when they first landed to big stone houses that were impenetrable in forts. They did not want, as any generation doesn't want, their children to experience the same tribulation of their parents. And so they started telling their children, they started, they started making accommodations for their children so their children didn't know the hardship of what it was like in those early days. They also did not hold their children to the standards of sin and righteousness that they held themselves to. And when you're willing to change the standard for the next generation, what you're, in, what you're, what you're saying is, you're so important that I won't even hold you to the standard that God holds me to. Essentially, it says, you're an idol. I give you more importance. It's all about your happiness. And the Puritans that started the greatness of the early American colonies saw backsliding in that next generation because they idolized the happiness of their children. Now hear me. I'm not saying that everybody in the room's parents were the best parents, but we have an entire culture that idolizes, idolizes the young. Money is not spent on fashion by grandparents. Money is spent on fashion by teenagers. Everything is marketed to the young. It's all about you. An entire culture idolizes you. You know what happens? If I were to take somebody that's, if I were to take almost anybody in this room and say, I'm just going to have you stand here and we're going to remain in silence and stare at you for the remainder of the service. Some of y'all felt beads of sweat pop up on your brow as soon as I said that. You, you're, you're terrified of public speaking. You don't like people to look at you. I don't want to be in the limelight. And yet that's what the world does when it says it's all about you. And your parents say, we just want you to be happy. We want you to achieve. We, we want to give you all the helps that you want. You want to go to gymnastics? You want to enroll in gymnastics as a six-year-old, but you're bored with gymnastics in, in, in two months and you want to go to something else? We'll let you. You want to learn piano, but then you didn't want to practice, so you're going to learn something else? Whatever you want to do. You want to be in karate this month? Okay, but now you want to quit. Whatever you want to do, it's all about you. You go where you want to go. What, what college you want to go to? Who you want to date? Who you want to marry? what career you want you just do whatever you want to do baby because it's all about you that's not bible what it actually does is it puts so much pressure that the world is staring at you no wonder there's anxiety in this generation because you're not god 
and it's culture and family and teachers and coaches just just they don't encourage you and say I saw you put in effort we're gonna put in some more practice in the backyard next week and you can try even better next no that's encouragement a generation doesn't know how to encourage they just praise empty praise empty praise is when you strike out but the grandstands are going yes you're the best batter of all time it doesn't bear witness with reality and it makes us so fragile that everybody's attention is on us and now we're afraid to fail we can't deal with failure i heard somebody say the other day that they were raised in the me culture and that they were taught just to express themselves. It's all about expression. And, and, and we are so, your, your expression, every thought, every whim that passes through your mind, it's so, it's so exciting. We all just want to sit around and listen. You, you know, everybody talks about now, like, we need to be better listeners. How about we need to be better storytellers? <laughs> I'm trying to be the best listener I can be, but some of y'all just boring. It's not all on the listener. Everything that passes through your mind on social media is not worth liking. <laughs> okay? Because you're not a queen. <laughs> and you're not a king. And it's not all about you. And I want to listen. But you didn't practice telling it very well. And so, uh, I'm ready to change the channel on you about 30 seconds in. Could you try a little bit harder? <laughs> the, 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 ex, the me generation says express yourself and the world will listen. And so, we created this need of expression, and then we filled it with an industry of social media and, and every platform to post and share and like and, and constantly videoing yourself and constantly selfie, and, and all it has done is brought more pressure that all eyes are on us. You know what happens if the eyes are on you and not God? The pressure is on you to make things better. If there's dread of the future, how can you fix it if you're not God? Dread, fear, depression, existential crisis. No wonder suicide seems to be the result of that. I can't live under this pressure. The best way I can enter back into reality if it's not all about me is just end me. But that's not the truth. The better way is to remind ourselves, you're not God. Just, just look at your neighbor and tell him you're not God. Come on, look at the other one and say, you're not God either. Wasn't that therapy for everybody? You know what that means? It means the outcome is not all on you. And that means all the things that we're afraid of, we actually have a God whose eye is on the sparrow. He watches over everything. Hallelujah. It's like that elder widow who was living out on the plains uh, of Kansas and she saw storms coming. She knew it was, she was living in Tornado Alley and the windows begin to shake and the, the rafters and the shutters begin to begin to move with the wind and she couldn't hardly sleep until she realized, I'm not God. If me staying awake isn't going to help the weather, she said, God, my Bible says he that keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. And if you're going to stay up all night long, there's no point in both of us staying awake all night long. I'm going to bed. You stay up and watch over my house. Amen. When you're not God, you sleep better. When you're not God, you don't need a pill to get through everything. You actually just to get to release it to the Lord. Amen. How? Because you can go through the pages of Revelation and say nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famine, pestilence, earthquakes, wars and rumors of wars but right in the middle of it God's people are not focused on all me right in the middle of it the Bible says in Matthew 24 and the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness and then the end shall come why because let those nations rise and fall that's not our nation oh we have a king and a kingdom that is eternal amen God was showing John politics will become turmoil spirits will unravel themselves like dragons oh but you don't just look at that and don't say I saw dragons and locusts by the end, you're going to say, I saw a great white throne. I saw him who was seated on it. I saw, it said, King of kings and Lord of lords. I saw his vesture was dipped in blood. I saw the kingdoms of this world become the, what do you see tonight? God says, I know there's a lot to look at. When Russia lines up on the border of Ukraine and NATO could find themselves in war again in Eastern I know there's a lot to look at when a vaccine mandate could be rolling towards government control and vaccine passports become digital until you need to uh, download something on your phone to do to do business until it seems like it's moving towards some mark of the beast.
least predecessor. I know there's a lot to look at with, with pandemics and wave and variant. Oh, but when these things begin to come to pass, look up. Amen. Get your eyes off of yourself and find that if you could see what he sees, victory belongs to Jesus. I said victory belongs to Jesus. Victory belongs to him. From Genesis to Revelation, we have one narrative. We have one story. We have one hero. We have one celebrity. We have one who is worthy of wearing his jersey. Amen. Lifting up his name. We have one who, who we will never be ashamed of. We have one to champion. It's all about him. But I really said all of that to say this. Because when you alleviate yourself of the undue pressure of, you know what it's like when you feel like your parents' happiness is based on your response to their expression of love towards you? Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Like if you don't answer the phone immediately, they're having an internal funeral. I gave birth to you. I carried you nine months. I fed you all the Oreos you wanted. And you won't even answer the phone. That's idolatry. You're not God. You, you can't be God for your spouse. You can't be God for your children. You can't be God for your parents. Pastors can't be God for their churches. Celebrity preachers can't be God for this generation. But when we take it off of ourselves and say, praise God, hallelujah, Psalm 100, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye the Lord. It is he that is God. It is he that has made us, not we ourselves. He's God, not us. When you take the pressure off of you, the next thing the enemy will lie to you and then say is, well, that means God's way out there in the distant star of a place called heaven, and you're here all by yourself, and your life is meaningless. And your life is detached from the greatness of God. It's all about him. Your life could be snuffed out. That doesn't matter. Let me show you a couple quick revelations I've seen in scripture recently, and I don't get a ton of revelation all the time, so I want to share these with you. Second Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. That chapter talks about the Jews cannot see the face of God because they have a veil over their face. They, they're covered by the law, but it says, nevertheless, it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. If people will stop focusing on perfection and they'll look at the face of Jesus, the veil will be taken away. Verse 17. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Somebody take a deep breath like you haven't taken in six months. If you're a farmer, you have to plow, you have to plant, but you can't make the harvest. You're not God. If you're a student, you have to study. You have to do your homework. But if you fail, it's not worth suicide. Your grade does not define your existence. Try again. Study again. You're not God. You do what you can do. Don't pray for the test if you didn't study. But once you do what you do, then you pray that God will do what only he can do. We can't manufacture revival. She can't hit the high note on the piano. We can't. We can't just conjure something up through a drum roll. But once we pray fast, worship the best we can, when we plow, when we plant, hallelujah, then we look to heaven and say, God, it's not about us. The, the, the Jesus at the center of it all. You might have the, then do what you do. There's liberty when it gets off of your shoulder. Verse 18. But we all with open face. Somebody just do like this, like the veil's taken away. Just open face. Come on, can we just have some church peekaboo? Are you so religious? Put two hands in front of your face. Somebody said, we ain't never coming back if he's preaching. Two hands in front of your face. We all with open face. Beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. Is anybody, anybody reading along in another translation they have open with them? Because that word glass, let me, let me show you something real quick. Transparent window pane glass was not invented until the 17th century in England. Now, volcanic glass has been around for thousands of years, and stained glass was used all you know all through 
church history and cathedrals, but glass you could see through? That's not what Paul's writing about. There was no such thing. That word glass is a mistranslation that should say looking glass, which means a mirror. Somebody say it means a mirror. Oh, that changes everything. Beholding as in a mirror. Some of your translations will say that. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Well, I thought it wasn't about me, Brother Robert. It's not. What is the glory of the Lord? John 1 and 14, in the word, Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld him. The glory of God, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father. John 3, 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory in my flesh. Romans 7, dwelleth no good thing. Amen. I of the, the flesh profiteth nothing. I am not glorious, but when you're born again. Christ in you, Colossians 1, the hope of glory. If it's all about him, friend, notice this. Salvation is a possibility that the preeminent one created by him and for thing, all things about the stars around the throne, all the angels cry holy, now by the Spirit dwells in you. Hallelujah. This one, this hero, this champion of champions, this celebrity of celebrity, this one upon whom the spotlight rests says, now I will be Emmanuel, God with us. Now I will be in you. And so how do we see glory? He says, do you see what I see? Am I the only one that sometimes I stand in the mirror and I only think about how insignificant, how much failures, how much weaknesses? Am I the only one that when I go to talk to God, seems like the devil puts a mirror in my face and says, look at you. Just look at you. Look how messed up you are. 90 days of prayer and fasting. You, you, ain't, you ain't hardly been fasting. You ain't been reading enough Bible. You, haven't, you disobeyed God when he told you to witness to somebody at school last week on your job, on the airplane. Look at you. You're nothing. You're messed up. You fell into temptation. Look at you. Look at you. The devil puts out a mirror and he mars the mirror as much as he can and says, look at you. But God says, do you see what I see? Because when Christ comes in your life and you're washed in the blood, then we behold as in a mirror, the what? The glory of the Lord. What is the glory of the Lord? It's Jesus. Anybody want to be more like Jesus this year? Then you can't put him in heaven and you on earth and constantly just be looking at the distance. You've got to be able to look in the mirror and say, God, if you see Jesus in me, then I am a man of God. You are a woman of God. Identity precedes essence. Existence precedes essence. Not the other way around. Existentialism says what you've done defines who you are. You sinned, you are a sinner. You robbed, you are a thief. You, you slipped into lust, you are, you are a, a, a controlled by sexual immorality. You're con that's who you are. God is in the business of pulling out mirrors and looking at people and saying, Abraham, you're not going to have Isaac for 25 years, but let me show you something. I call you not Abram, I call you Abraham. I got to show you the way I see you. It'll take you 25 years for you to see you the way I see you. But when you start seeing what I see, and then I can manifest the miracle that I have for you. I know you've walked as Jacob your whole life, but what? But who are you? I'm Jacob. That's it. I didn't call you that. I never called you that. It's who you've been, but it's not who I said. I call you Israel. Jeremiah, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I called you a prophet. Have you prophesied yet? No, you're not a prophet because you prophesied. You're a prophet because that's what I see. And I see you prophetic before you even prophesy. Oh, if you could see what God sees in you. Do you see what I see? You come in here and you can't hardly worship because the devil puts up a mirror and says, look at your stains. And the Bible said, lift up holy hands. And you say, mine aren't holy. I can't lift them up to you, Lord. And Jesus says, I see the blood. I see the cross. I see you through mercy and grace. I see glory when I see you. If you see yourself just, just, just run down by the enemy, you'll say, I don't even want to stand there in this song. But if you saw yourself the way God saw you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You say, this is my song. Oh, he called me son. I can run into his presence. Oh, I'll still cry holy. I'll still have the fear of the Lord. But he called you daughter. You belong right there with him. All right, one more, one more verse where, where it says glass, but it could be glory. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Come on, Bible readers. What's 1 Corinthians 13 about? 
love. Come on, Valentine's Day crowd. What's 1 Corinthians 13 about? Love, charity. And when it's all done, you think he's only talking about loving others? But notice what it says. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Next verse. For now we see through a glass. Glass didn't even exist till a few hundred years ago. Now we see through a mirror darkly. But then face to face. And now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. New Testament says all that we know is that when we see him, we shall be like him. He is the mirror. He is the mirror reflection of what we are to be. He is the mirror that as we focus on Jesus, we become more like, you focus on a cosmopolitan magazine cover. You focus on a model on Instagram and you'll say, I don't look like her. I'm not as pretty as her. I'm not as muscular as him. I'll never be that. I'll never be that. I'll never be that. You're becoming what you're beholding. You look like what you're looking at. But if you look at Jesus and Jesus says, my glory is in you. And if you'll keep looking at me, when you see me, you shall be like me. You ever you ever had something on your on your camera, like on your front facing camera and you went to, you know, like check your teeth or, or like check your hair and you open it up and you thought it was something on you. You're like, I got a new mole overnight. What happened there? And you realized it wasn't on you. It was on the camera. Are you going to a restroom uh, at a restaurant uh, and, and there's a dirt, there's a dirty mirror. It's not been clean and you can't tell. Is that me? Paul said, we're, we're looking at something, but there's a haze, there's fog. And if you look in a foggy mirror and you only see the silhouette of yourself, you'll feel the anxiety of it's all about you. You got to fix it. The pressure's on you. It's all about you. It all revolves around you. But tonight we're going to wipe that mirror Hallelujah. We're going we're gonna to clear some of the fog away. And you know what you're going to find out? I'm about to, I'm about to mis, misinterpret a verse on purpose, but it's just something I think 99% of the verse, it means grow up. But 1% of that verse, when I was a child, I acted a certain way. And when I became a man, things changed. How many realize when you were a child, you believed in miracles? When you were a child, you believed in the supernatural. When you were a child, you believed in all kinds of wonderful possibilities. But when you became an adult, you became skeptical. You became suspicious. Your, your faith turned into fear and doubt and worry and stress and anxiety. You know what I, you know what I realized? It, when you're, when you're a, little, a little person in the mirror, you're never alone. You know, when somebody takes little Gus into the, into the bathroom, Gus ain't going to the bathroom by himself. If he goes by himself, he's taking all the toilet paper off the roll and dragging it through the house. What does Gus do? If you put him in a mirror, you hold him. You show him how to brush his teeth. When I was a child and I looked in the mirror, I saw I'm not alone in here. You know what I want you to realize tonight? Number one, it's not about you. But number two, even though it's not about you, you're not alone. Christ in you. Romans chapter 8. What shall we say to these things? If God before us, who can be against us? It's all about him. And yet in his love, he said, I want to work through you. Through mercy, I want to pour out my spirit on you. I'm coming to a close, Sister Jess, if you'd help me, please. Joy, can I use you for an illustration? We got, we got some hunters in the room. I'm not one of them. Yeah, just right here. Thank you. Thank you. But uh, I do know this, like bow season before rifle season, right? Something like that. And, and if, you're gonna, if you're going to send an arrow in a direction, you don't have a little therapy session with the arrow and say, I believe in you. You're going to do great things. Oh, I'm just so proud of you. And you don't take that arrow. Somebody got a pen I can throw. You don't take that arrow and say, you're awesome. You're the best. Go do whatever you want to do. That, that's, that's, not, that's not how you launch something. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the thoughts that I have for you, says the Lord. Thoughts for good and not an evil. Give you hope, a future, and what? 
and expect it in. That's a bullseye. You see that fire, that red fire sign? I, I need to update my LASIK or get glasses. I can barely read it, but you see what, you see it over there? You see what I'm seeing? Psalm 127 says, Lo, children are inheritance of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his, is, is his reward. As arrows in the hands of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. A quiver is where you hold arrows until you shoot them. Could you imagine like a quiver full of kids and they're just bouncing around in the back seat and they're like, ah, life is great. Life's awesome. We're going to eat like ice cream. Our parents love us. We're going to do fun stuff. And then you get a little bit older and I want my life to count and I want my life to matter. And where am I going to go to school and what job am I going to get? And who am I going to date? And who am I going to marry? What am I for? And you're just, you're just wandering around in the quiver. And then that moment, the archer reaches into the quiver and puts his hand on you and pulls you out. You remember that moment the hand of God came upon your life? Woo! Maybe it was at a youth camp service. Maybe it was in a haven altar service. All of a sudden, it wasn't a sermon and a song. The hand of God came upon your life and you said, I don't know what I'm going to do now, but I know there's purpose on it. I know there's eternal significance on it. I know it's not all about me. I'm here to support the main character. It's all about him. And then when the spirit is poured out in Joel 2 and Acts 2, he says, when I pour out of my spirit, there will be dreams and visions. The Holy Ghost will make you do more than speak in tongues. The Holy Ghost will show you stuff. God's talking to the arrow when he's aiming it and he's saying, you see what I see? I, I got purpose for your life. I got a, mm, I got a bullseye and expect it in. It's good. It's not evil. There's glory in this. And then as soon as an archer shows that arrow some direction, does he launch it? No, he retracts it. What? <laughs> anybody ever felt like they had purpose and now they're further away from that when they started? Come on, anybody ever thought that's my true love and then God started pulling you away from them? You go in the opposite direction? I thought I was actually getting to a place where I was not as insecure and I could get along with people more. And now the Lord's calling me into the isolation of the secret closet of prayer. I thought the Lord was showing me something good and now he's pulling me away. God, why do you keep pulling me away? You showed me, so I thought I was seeing what you were seeing. I wasn't looking for the, for the $100,000 income job. I was looking for the mission field. I was looking for ministry. I was looking for something that you, I thought she was the one. I thought this was the direction. I thought this was what you, and now I'm further, further, further than when I started only the archer knows the tension of the bow and under great pressure when you feel the pressures harder than any other time of your life and you say what am I doing here when do I get to when do I get to be launched when you are furthest from the bullseye is when an arrow is closest to the heart of the archer do you see what God sees for your life? There's significance. There's importance. There's value. But it's not there. It's him. He will not release you to success until you hear his heartbeat. Until you're so far away from that, but you're so close to this. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Brother Joey. Stand with me to your feet, if you would, please. I've had friends that graduated Bible college and came back home to their home churches. And they longed for their pastors to say, I see you working in this ministry. I see you serving over here. I see you helping the ministry here and here. And they said, there was no vision for us. We just sat on the front row and held up our Bible at the good portions of the preaching and maybe taught a Sunday school class for one hour a week. We, 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 we thought there would be vision for our life. So let me, just, let me just speak to you real quick. Come on, look this way if you would, please. You know what you want to hear a coach saying? I see you making a home run this game. 
I've seen you practicing. I see your swing improving. I see you paying attention. I see you really hitting it over the fence this week. You know what you want to hear your, teach say, your teacher say? I see you getting these concepts. I could see you making an A on this next test. I could just see it happening. I'm not just, I'm not just praising you. I could really see it. I could see it. You know what the world does and a critical negative church culture does? They're in suspicion of everything and everybody. They're probably going to backslide. They probably even won't come back to Haven next week. They probably get distracted in a relationship, start slipping into sin. We won't see them till they get married and have kids and then want their kids to come back to kids church. We, they, you know, they're probably going to, that marriage probably won't even last. I went to the wedding. I don't know if they were really in love or not. Probably won't make it. Oh, hear the word of the Lord tonight. Not what Robert sees, but what God sees when he looks at you. You know what he sees? He says, Jacob, I see you making it. I see you walking on streets of gold. Elizabeth, I see you operating in the gifts. Joey, I see you walking in the spirit. Hallelujah. I see you in the Arab world. I see you doing what's on your heart in prayer. I see you making it. I don't see you slipping up in sin. I don't see you losing your virginity too young. I don't see you depressed. I don't see you Baker acted again. I don't see you looking for fulfillment. I see you in revival. Oh, could you see what God sees tonight? If you can't see it, you won't go that direction. But God says, I see you. I don't see you living the cycle of your parents. I don't see you backsliding like your friends. I see you doing something for God. And more than just going somewhere, I see you falling in love with Jesus. I wish I had time and I wish I had the gift of prophecy to go one by one for every person in this room and say, I see you making it. I know the pressure's on. I know hell's out against you. But I see you make You're not going to fall to the ground. I see you make it. God's got a bullseye for you. I see you making it, Sister Nicole. I see you making it brother Zach I see you making an impact in these last days hallelujah we thought the year 2020 would be some kind of year of great vision that's what all the pastors were preaching 2020 vision instead it was the beginning of a pandemic things have been shaken increase of mental struggles and mind battles and maybe God was shaking everything to say what are you looking at what have you set your eyes on? Where were you looking to receive pleasure? Where were you looking to be distracted from anxiety and stress? Come on tonight in the moment, I'm going to open these altars. And as we come to pray, I want you to say, Lord, I want to see what you see. Thank you for filling me with the Holy Ghost. I want to speak in tongues. I want the gifts to move. But God, I want dreams and visions. I want you to show me. What do you see? Lord, and I don't just want to be launched in success. I want to be close to you. Hallelujah. Why? Because we're the generation that's about to see him face to face. We're the generation that's about to watch him come on clouds of glory. Amen. We're not just a generation singing some doctrine in a hymn. We're a generation singing love songs to Jesus. We are about to see him oh but right now it would behoove us to say lord show me your glory now show me show me show me thanks for listening if this message blessed you in any way please consider subscribing and sharing this podcast with someone you can follow us on social media at haven youth church we love you fam the best is yet to come